Welcome to episode seven of Breaking the Ice. We're your hosts, Elliot Simpson, I.O. Christensen, and Dr. Jessica Shaddy. This week, we're holding a discussion centered on the political relationship in the Arctic between Canada and Greenland. Despite increasing interest in tightening the relationship between Canada and Greenland in the North American Arctic, Canada still does not have formal representation in Greenland, and Greenland's official representative to Ottawa remains in Washington, D.C. Today, we will discuss what our two countries are doing and what they are not doing politically, diplomatically, and economically to bring Canada and Greenland closer together. We are joined by Leona Alislev, MP for Aurora Oak Ridges and Richmond Hill here in Ontario, and Vitas Kwayakitsov, Greenland's former Minister for Finance and Nordic Cooperation. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Well, welcome um, everyone and thank you um, all for, for being here. So this is our um, second summer that we've had our podcast series, which is now evolving into webinar style um, for breaking the ice. Um, and every year we do different topics. And so this summer we have two streams and we have one on innovation um, in the North and one on strengthening Canadian Greenlandic um, relations. And so, I'm really excited uh, to have both of you for this conversation here. I will just quickly say that, um, Leona, you were one of our first interviews that we did last summer, and that was before we even figured out how to make the podcast work. <laughs> and so that was a written, actually, interview. Um, so I'm really um, happy to have you back. And, um, and Vitas, you attended our um, Arctic conference, Arctic 360 conference, um, I don't know, like three days before we went on lockdown. Um, so what was that now a year and a half ago? Um, and so thank you. Um, you were an excellent, you were excellent at that conference. You're a sharpshooter. And I think that's one of the reasons I'm really happy to, to, to have you here today. So I'll just say to both of you, I guess, welcome, welcome back. Then Elliot and me will start introducing you. I will begin. Vitus was educated at the Greenlandic Business School in 1993 and then began working as an interpreter for the Greenlandic government in 1994. He, in 1995 to 1996, he worked, worked as a negotiator for the Labour Union of Greenland. He was also uh, the private secretary for Lassimir Johansson from 2007 to 2008 in the Danish government in, in Copenhagen. In 2013 to 14, Vitus uh, served as the Minister of Finance and Interior. And in 2014 to 15, he was Minister of Industry, Labor, Trade and Foreign Affairs. Furthermore, in 2015 to 2016, he took the role of Minister of Finance, Minerals and Foreign Affairs. In 2017, he was the founder and the chairman for the Greenlandic political party, Nunetta Kritanai. Most recently, between 2018 to 2021, he was Minister of Finance and Nordic Cooperation. Welcome to the discussion. Thank you. And moving over to Leona. Uh, Leona Alislev was first elected to the House of Commons in 2015 and was re-elected in 2019 as the MP for Aurora Oak Ridges, Richmond Hill, Ontario. After being elected in 2015, Leona was appointed as Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Public Services and Procurement. She later served on the National Defense Committee, Committee, Foreign Affairs, International Development Committee, the Citizenship and Immigration Committee, and was chair of the Canadian NATO Parliamentary Association. In 2018, Leona was appointed Shadow Cabinet Minister for Global Security. 
Then in November 2019, Leona was appointed as deputy leader of Her Majesty's loyal opposition and shortly after named shadow cabinet minister for foreign affairs. She served in the Foreign Affairs and International Development Committee and the Special Committee on Canada-China Relations. She's also a member of the Canadian NATO Parliamentary Association, part of the Science and Technology Committee. Prior to serving as an MP, Leona was a Canadian Air Force officer and has held leadership positions at the Department of National Defence, as well as senior managerial roles with IBM Canada and Bombardier Aerospace. Leona earned a BA Honours in History and Political Science from the RMC in Kingston and received her Queen's Commission to serve as an Air Force Logistic Officer. Thank you so much for joining us. Elliot and Io, um, they are our uh, podcast interns for this summer. Um, and Elliot, he's um, a master's student from the Monk School. And we're very happy to have Io this year, who's a master's student at the University of Greenland. And so I can't think of two better people to be leading this discussion. Thank you very much. So uh, the first question we'll put to, Le- to uh, you, Leona. I, um, while we were researching this episode, I saw from your website on the page titled Nation Building and Arctic Sovereignty that uh, for Canada, now is not the time for a complacency, fear, or retreat. So do you feel that Canada has been complacent in asserting its sovereignty in the Canadian North? I think that's uh, an important topic to discuss because essentially what my perspective is, is that the status quo in the Arctic is fundamentally changing, both from an economic, a political and a defense and security perspective, and climate change is further accelerating that. I don't believe that Canada has prioritized the Arctic to the extent that it needs to. And so I would argue that the time is now for a sense of urgency to define and develop an Arctic strategy for Canada. So then would you say then that it's fair to say that this complacency extends to other things um, like infrastructure, business development, and food security? I would say that the situation is changing very rapidly, and I would say that uh, Canada perhaps hasn't fully appreciated just how quickly the status quo is changing and therefore responded accordingly and is lagging behind some of our peers, uh, both our adversaries and our allies, and that is putting Canada at a significant disadvantage. So then to, to look outside of our borders for a moment, then in terms of our um, in terms of our northern neighbor, Greenland, what, what could Canada be doing to strengthen cooperation with Greenland? I mean, for instance, the U.S. has established a formal diplomatic post. Nook, should Canada be considering this as well? I think Canada should be considering all variety of things, which is why I think a priority for an Arctic strategy needs to be um, one of the first things that we do. We need to look at what we're going to do economically in the Arctic to lay the foundations to position ourselves for future growth. We need to look at our diplomatic relationships to be able to strengthen those and identify what areas we need to put more effort into because of course trade, security are all based on relationships and so we need to do more in that area and then we need to look at our defense and security Uh, as well as our long-term research. So those are sort of four areas that I think need to be included as a priority in an Arctic strategy and certainly strengthening our relationships with Greenland uh, and our other Arctic allies, nations and and participation in the region. Thank you, Leona. The the next question is for Vitus. 
there seems to be a increasing interest by Korean to straighten ties with Canada, North, and vice versa. Would you agree? Certainly. I think uh, the general emphasis on on Arctic is um, is uh, good for for both Greenland and and probably Canada and those around um, Arctic in general. We have seen uh, an increase of um, of investments uh, and the pursuit of extracting minerals uh, and try and uh, the attempts to to make use of other roads like uh, the Northwest Passage, uh, for instance. So we see multiple aspects on um, the increased uh, agenda on on the Arctic and uh, Greenland is uh, is no um, exception uh, in this focus. What do you see as the most important area where Canada and Greenland should work together to straighten cooperation with each other? I think um, a formal diplomatic connection between Greenland and Canada is is necessary. But uh, if you look at um, why there hasn't been any further development in this regard, uh, perhaps uh, has to do with uh, the presumption of, uh, of Canadian uh, federal government on uh, how they regard Greenland. They don't regard Greenland as, as a legal uh, neighbor. Uh, Canada is, has been investing on their relationship with Denmark instead of Greenland. Greenland is positioned geographically next to, to Canada. So I think uh, Canada has been neglecting its uh, obligations to, to recognize Greenland as, um, as a legitimate uh, neighbor. And we see it uh, in the lack of uh, any attempt of uh, establishing a further connection. And I think it's, um, it's a shame that uh, there hasn't been any further development thinking of uh, US establishing a consulate in Greenland. But you have to mind that um, the consulate has not uh, come by itself. It's uh, an investment of many years of uh, hard uh, attempt to lure Greenland to, to Green, uh, US to Greenland. And it has to do with the American um, interests on many levels uh, that has uh, paved the way for American presence today. And I hope uh, this uh, focus on um, our relationships uh, between Greenland and Canada could uh, um, make uh, some um, some focus on uh, the agendas and the items need to be resolved in order for uh, for us to to have a stronger ties. How can Canada best help straighten this relationship? Now you mentioned the ties. Well, I think um, U.S. has done the, the first right thing is that is to to establish um, a consulate uh, in Greenland, and I think uh, Canada ought to do a similar thing. Um, we have been discussing how to improve 
the connections between Greenland and Canada for for many years, but uh, there hasn't been any tangible change uh, in our relationships. Uh, and I think um, it is um, uh, it is good that uh, Canada is um, is contemplating on how they are dealing with the indigenous peoples uh, in Canada, uh, thinking of. Uh, what is happening at the moment. Uh, and I think it's good that uh, the Canadian government is, is attempting on uh, easing uh, the troubled past uh, on the treatment of uh, the Indigenous people in Canada. And I think it will have um, a beneficial impact uh, on the dealings with uh, the other uh, peoples uh, across uh, the Arctic, I guess. Uh, you have already answered a little bit about, uh, with my, about my next question, but just to put it a little bit more clearly out there, do you think it would be helpful if Greenland had diplomatic representation in Canada separate from the US? I think so. I think uh, it will be a win-win situation if, uh, if Canada established uh, a representation in Greenland. And for, for our part, I think uh, we need to emphasize uh, the neighborhood uh, connections uh, by introducing um, uh, a formal uh, office in in Canada, placed in Canada. Thank you. So then, same same question to to you, Leona. How how helpful do you think it would be if Greenland's formal representation to Canada was actually based in Ottawa as opposed to being based in DC? So just to be clear, I'm not a member of the governing party. And uh, so the fact that since 2018, there's been a joint task force between Canada uh, and, and Greenland to determine what the diplomatic relationships should be and other things, and we've seen no result from it, is very disconcerting. Um, the fact that we have a significant militarization uh, of the Russian uh, military, as well as uh, assertion of China that the, the, the Chinese Communist Party, that they have aspirations to the Arctic and that they are uh, a, a Northern Arctic nation, the threats are very real. Canada needs to focus more on those who are like-minded and those who share our vision, our responsibility, our priorities, our respect for the rule of law, all those kinds of things, which clearly Greenland falls into that category. So there is no downside, only drastic and dramatic upside to having stronger relationships uh, in the region. And those relationships happen by over Zoom, but but by physically being uh, present in both locations when we're not under uh, a pandemic. But ultimately, the more that we get together, the more opportunity we have to be present with each other, the more ability do we have to have complex but important conversations. So no question, we need to move uh, further along those strengthening of diplomatic ties, presence, physical presence is definitely uh, a major aspect of that. And again, we need to understand what that joint task force 
has found out and, and move the conversation along more quickly. Um, I just want to touch on something quickly that you mentioned in terms of the security situation in the Arctic. Um, lots has been written about this and it's a very topical discussion. Uh, Leona, in, in terms of Canada's strategy towards all this, do you think that the Canadian, for example, security strategy in the Arctic is distinct from its strategy when it comes to things like the you know, bridging the infrastructure gap? or um, making the North more accessible to people that live in, I mean, I'm joining the Zoom call from Toronto. So do you think that the current strategy of Canada towards the North and the Arctic is comprehensive or is it uh, piecemeal? I think that's a fundamental point. Well, well done. And I would completely agree that part of our challenge is we tend to look at these things in isolated stovepipes rather than looking at them as comprehensive interdependent and integrated things. Ultimately, if you have infrastructure to get water, food security, resources, and other economic opportunities, well then obviously you're going to be in a better position to provide critical security and defense to those economic and people um, requirements. So. Our problem, like I said, is we do not have an Arctic strategy. That Arctic strategy does not bring together the multiple areas that are all interdependent from political, diplomatic, economic, transportation, climate change, research, mapping, uh, to infrastructure, to defense and security. So one of the first things we really need to commit to, and we are, I believe, a bit behind on this, is to having that definition of a strategy, that vision, make it a priority, and recognize that all of these things are interdependent and are critical to the future long-term prosperity and security of Canada. Now, Speaking of long-term prosperity, moving on to, to mining. So mining is very important to both uh, Greenlandic and the Northern Canadian economy. And this includes the critical minerals, which are the, you know, the, the means to the renewable energy economy and other technologies for the next century. So right now, I think it's fair to say that China has a bit of a monopoly on the global supply of these critical minerals. Both Canada and Greenland do have separate bilateral co cooperation agreements with the U.S. on these minerals. Do you see the mining sector as a place for increased Northern, uh, North American Arctic cooperation between Canada, the U.S., and Greenland? I would say that there's an opportunity for cooperation on all fronts, not the least of which is critical minerals. The interesting thing about the pandemic is that it has in many respects laid bare a lot of the challenges that we were just starting to be more aware of that we were facing and it has accelerated and highlighted the critical nature of them. One of which is Canada's self-sufficiency in terms of some critical areas. I mean, certainly we know about um, personal protective equipment and critical uh, medical drug ingredients that we just don't have access to that have put our own internal uh, security and safety at risk. 
That then can be extended to things like critical minerals, technology, technological advancements from iPhones to um, the new green technologies are the foundation for the future. If we don't recognize that we need to prioritize those things and have a certain amount of self-sufficiency and resilience in those areas, we risk uh, rapidly being left behind. That then extends to relationships with our like-minded allies uh, who have the same priorities and, and values as we do. And so certainly critical minerals is one of those key pieces in any future, uh, both from economic prosperity as well as defense and security. And Canada needs to prioritize who we allow access to ensuring that we are able to maintain our own self-sufficiency and that we are working with other like-minded nations in that regard. And uh, President Biden has made that one of his priorities in the recent um, outline of uh, the things that he wants uh, to focus on in terms of cooperation with Canada. So critical minerals is definitely on the priority list and relationships around those critical minerals, particularly in our Arctic with uh, places like Greenland and the United States, I believe need to be prioritized in our Arctic strategy and need to be something that we take far more seriously, I would argue, than we are currently. Thank you. It's more like you just uh, said that Canada would be behind and I was wondering if you could like explain that a little bit more. Well, um, as we've seen from the pandemic, if we don't have access to critical things in our supply chain, then we become dependent on other countries. If we're dependent on other countries who perhaps don't share our perspective, then the denial of access to those critical resources in the case of PPE or in the case of drugs and med medicinal ingredients, puts us at risk. Not being able to open quickly uh, in the pandemic means that our economy is delayed in terms of recovering, et cetera, et cetera. So the same thing would be true for the things that are in critical minerals. If we don't have the critical minerals, we can't be at the forefront of developing the environmental leading edge renewable technologies or simply other technologies like iPhones and, and things like that, that are dependent on those critical minerals. So the countries that have access to it quickly can then dominate the market or prevent other people from having access to those critical technologies, et cetera. And that would put, if Canada were one at that disadvantage, particularly when we have those critical minerals, that will drastically affect our long-term economic prosperity as we perhaps miss out on opportunities to leverage the strength that we have in Canada to position ourselves for, for the future. Thank you, Leona. Next question is for Vitus. In terms of uranium in Greenland, in your time as Nalakasusa for foreign affairs, you worked for Greenland's right to export uranium. 
In the year of 2021, what do you think is Greenland's successes and failures when it comes to uh, uranium? First, uh, I think uh, the abolishment of um, the zero tolerance uh, policy toward uh, radioactive materials uh, from 2013 is at risk of being reversed uh, again after only eight years. And I think uh, it's a failure in sense of the attempts to utilize uh, the radioactive content materials, including uh, rare earth elements uh, in Greenland, have suffered um, a huge um, damage in our credibility because uh, Greenland introduced and adopted uh, various international conventions um, to be able to deal with uh, the radioactive content materials, the logistics, safety, how to handle radiation, security, uh, and not least the trade and uh, the tracing of uh, the materials uh, once utilized. And those uh, conventions have been adopted um, and it's going to be interesting on how the new government is going to impose its policy on reversing um, the tolerance policy and how they're going to adopt it uh, in our legislation once uh, we already have uh, accepted and adopted the various um, conventions. So uh, it's going to be a very interesting time on um, how they're going to to implicate the, the mining industry because uh, Greenland's credibility as an investment object is uh, at risk, not least, and our credibility has, uh, has uh, been damaged uh, by this. So, um, so it's going to be interesting on uh, how um, all these are going to be incorporated in our legislation and not least the Mineral Resources Act um, that uh, is allowing um, the utility of, of um, the radioactive content materials. Thank you. Do you see the mining sector as a place for increased cooperation with Canada? And do you see an advantage in strengthening North American Arctic cooperation in this area? Canada has always been a role model in terms of, uh, of mining industry. Uh, and Greenland has, uh, through the years, uh, been working closely with, uh, with Canada in terms of adopting the regulations and, and uh, the frames uh, in all dealings with, with mining, including... Um, um, impact benefit agreements uh, that uh, we have been inspired by the Canadian setup uh, and we've been using Canadian expertise uh, uh, and consulted uh, uh, us uh, for a number of years. And we've been to Canada for, um, uh, for many years to, uh, to get inspiration on on all uh, dealings with, with the mining. So I guess um, 
the ties are already there, but uh, we need to have um, a more strengthened uh, relationship. Um, and that could uh, be um, uh, a task for a consulate uh, to, to perhaps um, um, uh, put the, the right uh, frames. Now, uh, this next question, I think I'll put to both of you, um, but I think we'll begin with, with Leona. So in terms of critical infrastructure, which is something that I think we can all agree both Greenland and the Canadian North need, do you think that greater cooperation between our two countries could help attract more investment into the region and sell it as an attractive place to do business and to build critical infrastructure? Well, absolutely. People want to, companies want to invest when they know there's a plan and when they know that that plan is backed or, or supported or prioritized by the population and the government and so again not to sound like a broken record if we had an arctic strategy that prioritized these things then industry private sector as well uh, as the provinces and government and territories would know that this is a priority. And so there's going to be a higher probability that people will come and invest not only in the infrastructure, but in the mining uh, opportunities or just other economic opportunities. Because like we've said, it's a whole ecosystem, not separate and distinct things. So if we make it a priority from a government, from a country perspective, then the cooperation will also be a priority, then the investments uh, will come. And to tie on to a little bit of what um, Vitas was just saying, the fact is that Canada's mining industry are world leaders in terms of how we do it from an environmental perspective and from the research and development that we put into ensuring that we maintain and are always pushing the leading edge of that. And again, the more cooperation, then the more uh, emphasis there will be on maintaining that leadership position. And it will then extend to a whole bunch of other things. So absolutely, if the government puts it as a priority, then the investment will come. And this is not only um, about the Arctic, in many respects, it's about nation building. And we have to commit to not only saying we're going to do it, but to actually getting it done. We haven't been particularly good in Canada on a number of fronts in terms of getting things built. And that is having a drastic impact on our economic prosperity and our ability to compete globally. So not only do we need to put the strategy in place, but that strategy and cooperation agreements have to have clear performance metrics so that we hold ourselves collectively accountable to not only saying we're gonna do something, but to actually getting it done. And uh, Vita, same, same question to you about uh, greater cooperation to attract investment to the region. For Greenland, sir, part, uh, I think uh, the infrastructure um, in regards to um, to airports and and um, and harbors uh, are adequate to accommodate uh, 
um, the tourism and the industry in general, our mineral resources and the commodities uh, connected to the minerals uh, are placed um, in um, in very remote areas uh, that needs um, a huge investment to utilize. And I think uh, the stumbling block uh, in terms of of mining for Greenland's part is that um, the minerals are very difficult to obtain um, and lies in very remote areas, uh, which, which means that once you start mining, uh, you need to, to invest um, infrastructure from, uh, from zero. So it's a considerable uh, thing to, uh, to accommodate um, when, you, when you are to invest in Greenland. And I guess uh, the same applies in the high North Canada uh, and in Alaska and elsewhere. Uh, it's the remoteness of those uh, minerals that makes it difficult. Um, we have uh, the necessary infrastructure. We have been uh, constructing inter um, international airports in Nuuk and, and Ilulissat. So our capacity have been uh, gradually improved uh, through massive investments uh, that uh, the previous government has put on the emphasis. And the next thing I see is, um, is uh, all the aspects dealing with uh, the traffic um, um, and um, the seafare uh, in terms of um, a greater um, transportation in the high Arctic is due to the climate change uh, we see. And there needs to be a setup uh, on how to accommodate uh, search and rescue and the safety net uh, that has to be in place. Uh, we need to have um, a dialogue uh, between Greenland and Canada on how we can uh, improve the connections in dealing with uh, the higher um, uh, frequency of um, of ships coming to our seas, and uh, the next thing is, of course, uh, the tensions between uh, Russia, China, um, um, in the Arctic, and the dispute over over North Pole is also uh, something that we need to consider how it can be resolved peacefully uh, amongst our our countries. Um, uh, so there are multiple um, tasks uh, to be resolved um, and that, that can only be done by, by having um, diplomatic connections uh, between our countries. Could I add oh. to that for just a moment? Please um, do. Because again, um, Vitas made a, an excellent point back to us looking at this sort of in compartmentalized areas. Often when we talk about uh, infrastructure, it's in the context of to get to remote locations for mining. Or we talk about infrastructure because we're looking at transportation routes or whatever. We're not looking at the investment in the infrastructure to do multiple things in a system of infrastructure rather than unique 
one specific objectives. And so we need in the Arctic an overall infrastructure strategy that looks at search and rescue, that looks at ports, that looks at airports, that looks at roads. So a system of infrastructure, not just individual pieces to achieve individual objectives. And that's why it's a big project. That's why a strategy is so important. And that's why diplomatic relations and cooperation conversations are so important because we can then understand all the aspects of it so that we make sure that we're spending wisely in the right order and in the right priority to achieve the greatest outcome at the earliest opportunity. Thank you, Leona. Uh, I have one more question before we go to Jessica and it's for both of you. How can we straighten trade business collaboration between Canada and Greenland? And uh, does infrastructure, infrastructure need to be built first? Shall we start with you, Leona? So I would say that the infrastructure doesn't need to be built first. The conversations and the planning to invest wisely, smartly, effectively, and efficiently needs to happen first, which is why this needs to, they talk about a whole of government, but this needs to be a whole of government, uh, federal and uh, territorial and provincial and regional and businesses, and not only um, the mining sector or whatever, but business organizations, people like Arctic 360, uh, climate change, uh, research and development, universities. It's, it's a big project, but it's a big opportunity. And getting it right quickly and effectively uh, is the way to do it. So essentially, yes, we need to have conversations with our cooperation partners uh, like Greenland and the United States and Norway and Sweden and, and whoever else, as well as uh, each of the critical industry sectors, as well as um, all other partners uh, so that we can understand what we can achieve and how quickly we can achieve it and that we do it in the right order um, as opposed to ad hoc from one aspect or another. So absolutely. But you're right. Critical infrastructure needs to be top of the list because we're not going to be able to leverage any of the opportunities very much like the railway of 150 years ago. Canada built was built basically built a country by building a railway from coast to coast. This is the next conversation that we need to have uh, about a pretty important and significant next frontier for Canada that needs to be know that they're part of Canada and that they can make an incredible contribution not only to Canada but to the northern region and in turn to the world. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, do, we, do you want to answer with this? Sure. I think uh, it's not a question of, uh, of investing uh, more money in our infrastructures um, in order to enhance or to improve the connectivity between uh, Greenland and Canada. I think it's a question of the willingness or the desire to strengthen the partnership between Canada and Greenland. 
So it's a political question, uh, not least. And the other thing is that uh, we have um, two very distinct uh, legislative uh, traditions. Uh, while Greenland is more uh, European-minded um, uh, uh, than um, uh, the laws and um, and the judi judicial systems uh, are quite different um, compared with Canada. Uh, so there is um, uh, a natural um, hindrance, uh, so to say. Uh, there, there needs to be a harmonization in order to to uh, to to build the. Um, the businesses between our our countries um, it should be uh, uh, not uh, complex uh, to to resolve it uh, since Greenland has a, a small population um, um, we have uh, in the past had uh, air link between uh, uh, Nunavut and Greenland in the past, uh, but uh, there is a deficit uh, to be covered on uh, how um, uh, it can um, be resolved. Uh, so there is economic aspects uh, as well that needs to be um, answered by both sides, not only from uh, from one point, but uh, by by both parts. Uh, the willingness to do business, and not least uh, on how we can accommodate um, a trade that is attractive for both both parts. Excellent. Um, I think I'm going to spend one minute maybe summarizing a bit of what I'm hearing, and then I'm going to launch into a last question. This has been excellent. I think that both of you have offered um, very poignant um, and excellent um, observations and discussions in advancing this conversation. Um, you know, Leona, you're pointing to the fact that we really need um, a comprehensive, a real strategic Arctic strategy here um, in Canada. Um, and you're saying we shouldn't sit in silos. So of course we can almost see then this as being as something that's, you know, it's, it's civil and it's military when it comes to infrastructure um, and it serves a social good, but also helps protect um, um, sovereignty. Um, but also at the same time, you know, this is going to require uh, private capital and, um, and goes much beyond the federal government. And, you know, one thing that we've often talked about, um, about this region, about the North American Arctic, is that it's actually really maybe, you know, together, Alaska, uh, Northern Canada and Greenland have many commonalities um, that range across the board, one being infrastructure, that it is almost like, you know, an emerging economy in and of itself in terms of um, its needs, and where things are um, um, in terms of, you know, you know, economic, social, political, um, and, and possibly, you know, the world's then, if you think of it that way, you know, safest um, emerging economy because of, um, um, you know, not least because of um, the political values that all these nations have. And of course, then if you want to attract private capital at the same time, right, you need an economies of scale. And so this is where thinking more regionally and speaking to Vitas, you know, talking about there is a real strategic regional play in here when we talk about ports um, and marine infrastructure and how infrastructure should be built because um, there's, 
um, you're going to have greater marine transportation, but this is beyond just green. You know, why why is there going to be more coming to Greenland um, because of this? You know, these new trade routes that are emerging, and so with that comes you know a more strategic perspective about the region, and so thinking you know how how ports connect to one another is an important thing. Um, how to increase you know broadband and 5G. So my my so I think there's a lot here, um, and so maybe. The particulars of each place um, are different, or um, but in many ways they connect to one another. And and thinking from a regional perspective has a lot a lot to offer. And not least, this begins with the, you know more uh, growing the diplomatic relationship in order to have these more ongoing, consistent conversations. So I, I I've noticed I've been following probably like you all have um, the recent G7 meetings. Now, now we've got NATO uh, happening, and so. You know, when the G7 met in Europe, they they came together and they found, you know, that China is now a new discussion that didn't used to be there. And one of their solutions um, for how to kind of band together and maybe help offset some of China's ambitions um, is to create this infrastructure initiative, but for the de for developing nations and. Um, and I, and I, you know, and I found that quite interesting. And so as an alternative, possibly, you know, to the, you know, how to build something that's an alternative to the brick and road initiative. And we know that, um, you know, here, part of that brick and road initiative is the polar silk strategy. So in 2019, Canada produced, well, two reports, two fantastic reports, um, but one of them out of the Senate actually had a recommendation to create a pan-Arctic infrastructure bank um, or a fund that could go through the Arctic Council. And so the Arctic um, nations themselves could create some sort of fund together to, to help galvanize and um, um, attract more capital to the region to build, to build infrastructure. And so I'm just, I'm wondering if that might be um, something that is of, of interest and especially on the Canadian side, I, I wonder, because I know <clears throat> we see that Trudeau would really like to be engaged in the China discussion when he was at G7 and, um, and, and these type of things. And so is there maybe a possible opportunity here to through the Arctic Council? I'll, I'll start with that and then I'll pivot to you, Vitas, with a follow-up. But you both can answer starting there. So there's two things in that question in part. Um, one is, do we think that we should back up our strategic uh, objectives with real money? and our cooperation with some financial commitments all around. And there's no question, if we believe that this region matters for all the reasons that we've cited, and if we collectively through our cooperation believe that we don't have the luxury of time and we need to do something about it relatively quickly, not only for the health and well-being of our own countries, uh, but for the contribution that it could make to the world. There's no question that the ice is melting. There's no question that the Northwest Passage is a highly attractive transportation route that will dwarf in many respects the Suez Canal if all of the projections come to fruition. And so therefore controlling one of the world's, what could be one of the world's most significant trade routes uh, is not something to be taken lightly. So do we need to back it up with money? Do we need to do it soon? And do we need to commit to a joint vision for what that should look like for like-minded nations, recognizing the global uh, 
security and economic framework? Absolutely, yes. My concern is in the title. Because we have seen the Asian Infrastructure Bank, there's a whole bunch of baggage perhaps around that, that title and how it has been implemented, the oversight or lack of oversight, the objectives and, and, and means that have been used as a result of it. So sometimes uh, a great idea can be defeated simply by the title and the corresponding misinterpretation. So do we need to find a way to have a regional cooperative nation joint vision? Absolutely. Do we need to back it up with money, government investment, as well as private sector? Absolutely. Do we need to be very careful about how we define it and the terms and conditions around it so that it's not confused with other initiatives that perhaps have taken advantage of populations or have had alternate strategic interests to our own. Yes, we, we very much need to do that. So I think it's an excellent question, all fits in. The strategy defines the what and to some extent the who, and then we can't forget about the, the how and the performance objectives to ensure that we're actually achieving the goals that we've set for our collective selves. Thank you. Vitas, I'll let you. Thank you. Um, I, um, I concur to the need of, of considering um, uh, where the investments ought to come from. I think uh, we have an obligation to ensure um, our security first of all, uh, and I think there is a need for for looking at uh, how uh, the safety um, of our nations um, um, can be resolved first um, in terms of of utilizing mineral resources, and I think um, uh, looking at China, whether if China is a threat or a blessing in terms of uh, investments. I think it's a double-edged uh, sword uh, that we have to have in mind in regards to uh, not being um, uh, depending too much or heavily on, on China. So there is um, uh, a safety issue or a strate strategic considerations we need to um, to put forward uh, uh, from everything, um, and which is why it is important to emphasize on the investments coming from United States and uh, Canada, not least um, in terms of developing our uh, of our mining industries. Uh, um, we have emphasized on. U.S. investments uh, for many years. And it is only for the past um, uh, two or three years where this uh, diplomatic effort uh, has, um, has been fruitful since um, uh, the U.S. 
interest on Greenland has uh, been more visible and more tangible in terms of of seeing uh, concrete initiatives uh, in terms of investments and funds uh, being relieved uh, to various uh, developments in Greenland. And it, it only comes because of our desire to attract US investments in Greenland. And it has been done uh, through our representative office in Washington DC, not least, and our effort to attract the US political uh, decision makers from the departments and um, um, and uh, the government. Uh, uh, so it's, it's many years of effort uh, that is um, um, the result of the US presence in Greenland. And I, and I see a desire to develop, uh, and I hope that Canada will um, will look at uh, what U.S. is doing uh, for time being. So I can only encourage Canada to do a similar effort um, to improve the connections with Greenland in the future. Excellent. So maybe, maybe what we're saying is we. I shouldn't have said Pan-Arctic. <clears throat> maybe, maybe it's something a little bit more of building up um, a, trial, a trilateral relationship, let's say, um, and that should take and could take the form of um, um, strengthening diplomatic ties, economic ties, um, and perhaps that could then also include um, strengthening um, the ability to attract capital to the region um, as a safe and great place to invest. So I, I'm going to, I'd just like to provide both of you one last quick opportunity. If you'd like to ask a question, ask a question to each other before we wrap up our time. I simply want to say thank you to you guys, uh, Vitas for attending and to Arctic 360 for having this because this is an important conversation. Yes, it's positioning for the long term. So it's not something that necessarily makes the front page of the Globe and Mail every day, but it's no less important and no less something that we absolutely need to be discussing. So thank you for making sure that we have the opportunity to have these conversations and to include as many people as we can in what will be and should be a very important conversation. Thank you. Thank you. I also like to thank uh, the organizers for uh, sharing my thoughts with you and, uh, and I think for for this uh, interesting um, um, dialogue. Uh, and I hope um, uh, my um, perspectives uh, can um, ease um, um, Canada to consider Greenland uh, more as a neighbor because uh, we have common interests and, um, and um, uh, common um, um, challenges in the Arctic. Uh, so there, it is a win-win situation as I see it um, to involve more between our countries. Uh, so I can only encourage uh, the Canadian government to invest more on how to improve the connections with Greenland. 
and I think Greenland is uh, is considering how we can improve our relationship uh, with uh, Nunavut uh, first of all, but uh, with Canada uh, on the second hand is is also important for us because uh, we have the common uh, stocks at our seas. We have um, borders uh, uh, to each other and we have uh, the Arctic Sea to consider. We have the climate change um, uh, challenges um, uh, that we have to mind and the health uh, issues uh, to consider um, and to build up uh, the businesses and the industries, not only in mining, but in tourism, uh, etc. So I guess there, it's, um, there is um, a thought of of benefiting each other um, money-wise, but also uh, on um, on strengthening um, uh, the relationship between our people. Thank you. I just want to say thank you both so much. Um, and I, I left off last time, and I'll just say it the same again, that um, I this is a real great um, contribution to the conversations that we should be having more often. Um, we know that diplomacy really is effective and begins with relationships and building those relationships and building those relationships takes time and they take a lot of work. And so hopefully Elliot and Io, by the time in 15 years from now, when they're sitting in your two seats, <laughs> they'll have already built up and Big, you know, 15 years of um, competence and, um, and professional relations with one another that um, Greenland um, and the Canadian North, but all of Canada will be much, much closer friends by then. Um, old, old neighbors, <laughs> let's just say. So thank you both. Thank, thank you both you. so much. Thank Have you. Great, thank you. Thank you.